Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. You know, and healthcare from a regulatory standpoint has even more unique challenges, which unfortunately to what you're seeing, Chris, is that, you know, you have a lot more data that you have to hold on to because you're required by law to hold on to that, right? And so then it becomes, you know, how do you archive that data in a way that keeps it secure and that you inventory it and you know what's where? Hi, and welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darian Kimlin, VP of Technology here at Fletch. And with me this week and every week is my recurring co-host, Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. Welcome back to another week, Chris. Oh my goodness gracious, it's great to be here as always. (laughs) This week, we're joined by special guest, Nancy Phillips. Nancy was recently SVP of IT and CISO at Ensemble Health Partners, a healthcare services company and previously CISO at a number of other healthcare firms, including Centura Health and Kaiser Permanente. Nancy is also a founding member of Women in Security's Denver chapter, which is an organization dedicated to mentoring, training, and supporting women in the cybersecurity field. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So we'll be talking with Nancy further about the threats targeting the healthcare sector, as well as diversity challenges facing the cybersecurity industry. But first, let's check in on the threat landscape and the interesting threats of the week. As you may know, Fletch scours thousands of different internet sources for major topics, security issues, and vulnerabilities that appear to be emerging, trending, or mainstream, processing hundreds to thousands of articles uh, every day. And in the past month, we've seen 214 distinct major topics, which is a sizable increase compared to January. This looks to be the new normal as the holiday season's finally over. That sound about right, Chris? Yeah, they finally got rid of their hangovers, and now it's time to get back to work. It's uh, This is not unusual. I think we'll see a continual continual growth. I don't know if it's going to be at 31% over month over month, but it'll be, it, it, it should even itself out probably after April 15th, because that's the U.S. tax season. And then, yeah, I think we'll see a slight decrease probably as we go into the summer months. Makes sense. And you know, double clicking on this 214, if we split it out, we see that roughly five new topics were brand new for the week. Uh, four are starting to trend across multiple outlets, multiple media outlets, and 10 have become mainstream in the news in the past month. We've also dropped coverage on around eight topics that we haven't seen any activity in the past month. So do these stats kind of make sense to you, Chris? We see this year over year. It's about, this is about, this is very consistent. I think as we connect more devices to the internet and more people start using the internet and people, well, quite frankly, do dumb things, we'll, we'll see a rise and, you know, the, the, these, the, the bad actors are going to, are, are going to go ahead and change their tactics. And I think this should remain consistent, but I think it, the, the, the attacks will get more sophisticated. Right. And let's kind of dig into some of the more interesting threats that we've seen over the past week. We've got a number of different ransomware operations that seem to be targeting the healthcare sector, number of different vulnerabilities, you know, capturing the mix of Apple, Microsoft, and even some cloud infrastructure. Topping off our list, we had a new report released by CISA that covers North Korean cyber operations targeting the healthcare industry. And what's interesting, I think, about this was we're starting to see this this interesting pattern where North Korean ransomware groups are basically 
getting their funding from victimized healthcare organizations and then using that money to go after high value targets later. This kind of reads out of like what a, a Grisham novel or a Clancy novel, right? <laughs> what are yeah. your thoughts here, Chris? This is probably the most innovative way I've ever seen to get angel funding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is healthcare is, is always a big, big, big target. We've seen typically, I, I think one stat that I read is that the attacks against healthcare are two X more than pretty much any other place. And it's largely because of the, because of the data and because of what treasure troves you can find in the infrastructure, but it's really security in healthcare is, is oftentimes one of those things that is, is overlooked. And I mean, Nancy can speak to this much better than I can, but I think last week or two weeks, two weeks ago, we were talking about Lexmark and the printers. When I was doing on-site security assessments, you know, and we would go, we would go through, we try to break their systems. The first place I'd go to are the printer ports. And I'd never run into a healthcare organization. We did a very large 245 building campus in Rochester for a very large hospital chain that will remain nameless. And we, the first place I would go to is, is the printer's. And I was always able to get root access into those systems. And so mm-hmm. it's probably getting better, but there's a lot of things that I think need to change, but it is a very, very ripe target. So, yeah, I, I'm curious your thoughts here, Nancy, in terms of you know whether or not uh, healthcare has always been a target by ransomware groups, or has it just recently cropped up ever since the pandemic? No, they've always been a target of ransomware groups. It's been a fight I've been fighting my entire healthcare career, which has been quite a few years now. And it's an easy target when you have such a, a large employee base that's working on the internet, working through email, being tempted all the time from phishing campaigns and whatnot to click links and to become infe- affected, which then right perpetrates all through the environment. So it, it is a definitely prime industry to be subjective to, to ransomware targets. I get why North Korea is using it in this way, right, to be able to fund other operations. Do you think that part of this is because the, the general response to a ransomware attack within the healthcare field is just pay it, make it go away? Or is it a lack of education? Or what, what, why do you think that they just... I mean, I think it's a, it's a whole host of things, but to your point, Chris, right, recovery of operations is always number one from a healthcare organization because, you know, people's safety is on the line. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes it's not that the team isn't capable of recovering, but the time to recovery may be more than what's tolerated, right, to be able to get to operations. And so, as we all know, the security hygiene principles are key for healthcare organizations and being prepared from a resiliency standpoint is also a number one priority so that you can recover in a way that doesn't allow you to become you know, subjective to having to pay the ransom. From this perspective, it's not just North Korea that's targeting healthcare. Plenty of other <laughs> ransomware groups are, are going after it at the same time. So they're getting hit from all different angles. This next one is really highlighting a particular vulnerability that's being exploited by the CLOP ransomware organization, and it's targeting secure file sharing systems that are exposed to the internet, used by healthcare groups over a thousand different organizations are impacted by this. You know, from that standpoint, it it doesn't seem to be 
getting better. <laughs> it seems to be, you know, at least the the targets, the bullseyes seem to be getting bigger. I'm curious from your perspective, Nancy, if you found that these sorts of attacks are seasonal in nature or they happen pretty much all year round. You know, I think healthcare gets targeted all year round. And when you're talking about file transfer systems, right? Why healthcare? I mean, the complexity of the inner workings of healthcare organization means that data has to be shared, right? From electronic healthcare record standpoint in order for a patient to receive the proper care. Healthcare networks are very complex. Um, there's a lot of connections. Uh, there's a lot of third-party connections. Um, so it, it takes quite a bit, right, to be able to help understand what all those threat vectors are, where, where the threats are facing you, and how you need to make sure that those are managed on a continuous basis. Um, and oftentimes, as we know, we say healthcare is behind because the investment in security hasn't been there traditionally, right? Um, that has taken a significant change, I think, for many organizations. But we also find that there are healthcare organizations that, um, you know, have a one to two person staff. And it's hard to take care of all the complexity that uh, those particular organizations face day in and day out. Yeah, and these aren't obviously the only threats hitting the landscape. Outside of healthcare, we've seen that now Apple's released their brand new zero-day fix for iPhone and Mac ecosystem. I, I think we were predicting first zero-day of the year for Apple to be last month, but now it's this yep. month. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, it's remote code execution. Simply visiting a website with Safari could cause the system to get compromised, which seems to be a, a common refrain. Any any bets, Chris, as to when the next Apple Zero Day will, will get announced? There's the whole never happened scenario. And then this is this really happened. This kind of where, where Apple's kind of in denial right now on a lot of this stuff. Darian, I think last year we were consistently seeing about one a month. Mm-hmm. And it was a race to the bottom with Android versus iOS. So I, I don't know. I think it makes a better product if, you know, if it's constantly getting hit. I think bug bounties are great, but I think this is something that we'll have to keep our eye on. But I'll put my bet on about once a month. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that holds true. And it's not just Apple. Yeah, I'll buy you a bottle of wine. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. And it's it's not just Apple. Also, Microsoft's <laughs> released not one, not two, but three zero days that they've fixed in their most recent Patch Tuesday release. Yeah. So I think this is maybe a response to the whole OneNote compromises that have recently cropped up, as we talked about last week. Microsoft's trying to get ahead and start to patch proactively other vulnerabilities and other common Office and Windows apps before they start to see in the wild attacks. It'll it'll be interesting to see when the next round of these fixes come up, if they are able to you know, hold off until the next Patch Tuesday, or if we start to see another out-of-band cycle released by Microsoft. And all, the, all their products are so intertwined and they use a lot of the same code base and things like that. So to Microsoft's credit, they do a pretty good job of keeping ahead of it. Patch Tuesday is, you know, I, I love that term, but but it's 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 become a reality for them. Like I said, it's very incestuous in terms of their how they write code and how they work on products. That yeah, you're going to find vulnerabilities in one product and then another and then another and another. But the the big scary to me is is kind of what happens in Azure, and so but that's yeah. that's, for another, that's for another day. 
Yeah. And, you know, speaking of cloud infrastructure and workloads, the last one on our list is actually a new remote code execution vulnerability within a common cloud subsystem called Apache Kafka. So if you're doing any sort of cloud workloads, probably want to pay attention to this one. Mm -hmm. That said, usually if cloud workloads are protected behind a VPC or firewall, chances are attackers can't directly access these systems. But if you're not quite sure, then you definitely want to patch this because it uh, allows an attacker to get full control over this subsystem. Just real quick, this is one of the big reasons why Uber moved everything over to Oracle Cloud, because Oracle separates the data plane from the control plane, which creates an entirely interesting way to, to manage security. Because if you can get in the data, you, you have to go through the control plane, but if they're separated, you can't find them. And so this is this is one of the big things that Uber learned, and they they they're a big Apache Kafka user. You're seeing a lot of companies responding to this. Absolutely. So that kind of covers our threats for the week. If you want to dive deeper into this week's trending threats, be sure to check out the interactive Fletch newsletter and Trending Threats app to see all the stories we talked about and more. Now on to our special guest interview. For the latter part of our conversation, let's talk a little bit more with Nancy. So we've covered a number of different threats related to healthcare, obviously. I'm curious, we've seen signs where ransomware groups tend to kind of apologize when they go after healthcare organizations unintentionally and try to recover and not necessarily follow through with their demands. I'm curious, is is that more of like an exception versus the rule from your perspective? Yeah, I think it kind of goes both ways. You want to think that you have the big red cross, the mass unit kind of protections, right, in wartime Mm -hmm. that we often feel like we're in when we're talking about threat actors. But healthcare, like any other, can be a casualty of war, right? And it's all about being able to protect your flanks and being able to make sure that you're guarded as well as you can be in order to defend against this. So so I think it goes both ways. I think every once in a while, you, you get a group that has a little bit of a conscious. But other than that, it's usually financially motivated. And as we talked about earlier in the show, right, healthcare has a tendency to pay because of the reliance on technology technology and, and the patient safety concerns that they have. Yeah. I think NIH got hit with the, the, the UK healthcare system got hit a couple of years ago and they had, they had people dying. I, and I, I hope that they have some level of conscious, but unintended consequences are always, always something you have to deal with later on down the road. Yeah. Like I said, you know, healthcare systems are very complex for a lot of reasons. They have grown into that complexity in ways that are hard to wrangle when you're doing security after the fact, as we all know. I love love having this conversation because one, one of the things that I always see, and we, we work with a lot of healthcare organizations, especially ones that do a lot of acquisitions and they have to integrate all the different types of systems in. And But one of the most astonishing things that I've seen is, is that healthcare systems typically don't have a data governance process or policy in place. So a lot of times they don't have purge policies terms of information. They'll have records and files on people that, you know, they started going to see the doctor when they're six and now they're 60. And when you're six, it's it's not relevant anymore. And as, as a CISO in this world, what advice would you give to healthcare organizations in terms of just data governance and how do you manage it and how do you define those practices? Because this is something that when we do talk to our folks, is there one of our healthcare clients 
has acquired 75 different organizations and they're integrating all of, in, in one year and they're integrating all these systems. They're putting them They have to put it all into one area and they have to be very HIPAA compliant. But the challenge is that they don't even know what they have and they keep everything on a spreadsheet, which boom, my head blew up. What, 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 would, what kind of advice would you give somebody as they're going down this journey in, the, in, in this world? That how, how, how do you make that better, make it easier, <laughs> more efficient, or how do you right. just yourself from getting into trouble? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think every organization faces that challenge. You know, and healthcare from a regulatory standpoint has even more unique challenges, which unfortunately to what you're seeing, Chris, is that, you know, you have a lot more data that you have to hold on to because you're required by law to hold on to that, right? And so then it becomes, you know, how do you archive that data in a way that keeps it secure and that you inventory it and you know what's where, but there's just so much of it and it's hard. And like I said, for any organization, it's hard. You come from two different kind of camps, in my opinion. You come from the camp where if you are being sued a lot, right? Then you like to purge a lot. And if you come from the camp where you're pursuing the legal actions, then you tend to want to hold on to data. And oftentimes I think it's a challenge, right? To get the organization as a whole on the same page of what should and shouldn't be done as it relates to data and why it should or shouldn't be stored or purged to be able to actually help the organization understand what that position should be, or at least start to think about what that position should be, right? And have the conversation and come up with the decisions. But but you're talking about doing it really at the enterprise level. And I think that's where a lot of CISOs or security people have a challenge, right? Is making sure they have a seat at that table and being able to talk at that enterprise level. It's kind of analogous that, you know, I come out of the intelligence world and we overclassify everything. Mm-hmm. everything and we save everything and i think they're just putting some sanity into how you classify information and classify data and archive it and you're so spot on yeah that's that's advice for every industry i think <laughs> <laughs> like to your point nancy having a seat at the table is important because a lot of times when organizations are undergoing rapid growth usually security is the last people to know about hey we're about to acquire this other firm be yeah. prepared in the next three days. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That is so true, Darian. And we're starting to see that shift a little bit where, you know, the CISOs obviously with the SEC rulings, right? You now need to have board aware cybersecurity folks. It's not quite enough, right? Those board aware security folks also have to understand that there's a whole management component that really helps an organization. And so if you can work towards helping those executive leaders understand that and really look at their cybersecurity professionals or CISOs as partners, helping them to enable them to be able to do business at the speed that they want to do business. If you're partnering together, then you know you definitely have a lot more success as we all know. Makes sense. Well, I wanted to kind of switch topics a little bit and cover one that's, I think, near and dear to your heart, Nancy, which is really around, you know, diversity in the cybersecurity industry in general. We've traditionally, it's been a very hard problem. So I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what sort of practical advice would you give a cybersecurity leader who might be in a medium-sized business, who understands the value of diversity, certainly diversity of thought, ideas, coming up with new creative ways to solve problems. 
what are some practical things that they can do to try to invite more diverse applicants or more diverse team members to the organization? Yeah, I think what we see, Darian, oftentimes is when you talk to folks in education, they're seeing an uptick of females in the STEM classes and whatnot. But what we tend to see is that those trail off after they get into the career field. And I think the reason being is probably a lot of different things, right? You know, there's always the juggling of home work-life balance that women tend to be challenged with, right, as they start to have families and raise kids and all those kind of things. But I think more important to that, and what I would tell leaders is, I think tapping someone on the shoulder and saying you have potential, right, just giving them that bit of encouragement, unsolicited, I think goes a long way for that confidence of, hey, I have something. And if I stick with it, I have some opportunity. The other thing, too, is who's there's role models, right? right. And, and that's that's hard, too. So I think it's for us that are in management, we have to do a little more encouragement and a little more care and feeding because they just don't have those role models in some organizations. And then I also what I would say is maybe encourage them to find one, right? I know that there's so many folks in the industry that would love to help mentor and really cultivate people's career. Because to your point, we're looking for people that are smart, that are inquisitive, that have motivation. And it doesn't matter what their walk of life is, right? If they have any of those characteristics, then those are the people that we want in the industry because those are the people that are effective. Absolutely. And being able to touch upon peers that have similar similar backgrounds, similar ideas, beliefs can be very helpful because a lot of times, as you mentioned, Nancy, they're they might be the only one <laughs> on the security team who 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 have that similar mindset. And it can be tough if they're kind of isolated and they don't have, you know, other people to to bounce those ideas off of. Uh, Certainly, you want to try to promote that, obviously, within the organization. But if you're growing a team and the team is relatively small, then you might need to be able to connect them with other people, at least within the industry, who can provide some sort of touchstone and say, yeah, we've gone through this before as well. And here's how we've solved these problems. Um, Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head, too, is, is gender aside, race aside, anything aside, finding that person that has the characteristics that resonate with you and reaching out to that person and saying, Hey, I would love to know more and establish that mentor mentee relationship, I think is so key because it's what you're interested in, what your passion is, right? That you want to find that mentor. And people are so willing and giving in this career field to help share ideas and thoughts and and ways to improve your career that you could reach out to anyone on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, they'd be willing to help. Absolutely. Even in 2023, the security industry is a very small, small space. Yeah. Darian, one of the, I remember one of the, one of our first podcasts that we did, one of the guests was talking about, you know, kind of what, what it means to be an effective CISO. And it's the guy who, or the gal or whomever that steps up and is not afraid to give you information, not afraid to tell you what's going on. They're, they, they, they're very open. And that's, that's a great, I've, I've, it kind of 
it's stuck with me because I think there's so many people that are coming into cybersecurity. We, we need a renaissance of new people with different experiences and different backgrounds and all, all the above. And as a CISO, it's so important to, you, you've achieved this, this, this job, you've achieved, achieved this position. Now it's time to give back. And, and I think Absolutely. that, I think so many people don't, once you shift your mind and you start working for purpose as opposed to everything else, it really does. It, it, it grounds you out and it makes you much more, it makes you a much better person and makes you much, makes your career much more satisfying. And, and I, I had to change that, you know, I, and I had to change that mindset and I'm there now. I want to give back. And so I, I spent a lot of time with a lot of, a lot of veterans that uh, transitioning veterans, um, they all want to become, go to the CIA. And I'm like, no, don't do that. You're too tough. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, a lot of guys that come out of the NSA and things like that, which is right, my background, they just want to stick with it and they, because they love it. And so you, they just need that. Nancy, I, I love the fact that you just tap them on the shoulder and say, yeah, we got you. And I think that's so important for senior leaders and managers. And so thank you for saying that, by the way, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, Chris, and, and one of the things I've learned through my career, right, that there's the CISO of the people and the, there's the CISO that are more upward or executive facing. And yeah. I think it's all it's important for all of us in that leadership role to at least find time in your calendar to do skip levels, all those type of things, yeah. right, to have that pulse at touch point. And to your point, right, to, to be able to motivate these people that, yeah, hey, my leader, gosh, it took them a long time to get there. They're very important. They're talking to the executives, but they took time to talk to me too. And that's what keeps people in the industry. Yeah. Real quick anecdote, and then I think we're almost out of time. But I, when I first when I first got out of working in the wonderful government, I went to work for Novell, and it was right at the end of Ray Norda's term, which was Ray Norda was the founder of Novell, and I would fly from Denver to Orem, Utah, about once a week, and Ray Norda drove this truck an old pickup truck. He'd park it in the back of the parking lot because he didn't want his employees to have to walk all the way. And he parked way in the back of the parking lot. He knew everybody's name and he built this culture of this is, this is what, this is what you do as an executive in the company. And it was mind boggling as, as a young dopey kid coming out of my world. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is like, this is what I, this is what I want. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Being grounded, inclusive, yeah. and being able to tell people, hey, you're not alone. <laughs> there are other people going through this just like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a common refrain. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for you know sharing your time with us today, Nancy. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. So yeah, tune in for for next week's threat show when we'll be covering more interesting threats to the week. Stay tuned for our announcement of the next guest speaker. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the threat show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts and interact with us on Twitter at the threat show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.